0: Hello to all the amazing Growth Mindset podcast listeners across the planet. Today is a very special episode because the Growth Mindset podcast is one year old. I've had so much fun putting together the podcast and now this episode summarizing the last year. It's really an incredible episode that I can't wait to share with you guys. And before I do, I firstly have some recommendations. Firstly, if you love the Growth Mindset podcast, you should check out another great podcast called Next Year Now. So the Next Year Now show is all about uncovering everyday purposeful habits and practices to help you thrive at work and in life. So you can check it out and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And again, that's the Next Year Now podcast with Tom Hefner. I have a great recommendation for other business owners trying to advertise their business locally. So pay-per-click can quickly bleed you dry and review sites can scam you, but Scout Puppy Local has helped thousands of business owners easily become a trusted local merchant. Scout Puppy builds a one-page website hosted on their platform. The great thing about this is that they write all of the content. They add pictures, video, links to your own website and social media, and they fill it with really strong keywords so you get found. They submit the one-page website to over 200 search engines to help you compete with the big guys and they'll write an industry-specific blog every three months. So basically, you get a one-page customer-acquiring revenue machine. It's pretty awesome. It starts from $89 a month with no contract. So go to scoutpuppy.com and click Add Business in the menu bar to sign up. And in their words, sit back and relax. Or on my advice, go and work on everything else in your business like a real entrepreneur. You can grab 50% off your first order if you sign up now online using Growth Mindset Fifty. It's your voucher code, and you can do that at ScoutPuppy.com. Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Harris, and it is my true honor and pleasure to host you here on the Growth Mindset podcast. I talk to amazing individuals about how they achieve their dreams and break down the strategies it takes to lead explosive tech businesses to being paid to travel the world. I deep dive into topics such as Bitcoin and FinTech, or just how to get stuff done, with the goal of increasing our own collective wisdom and making us all happier, healthier, and wealthier. Who doesn't want that? So, like I said, some huge news that the podcast is one year old today. So, I'm taking a look back at the whole year and I'm playing some of my absolute favourite moments. It's a really insightful, a heartwarming, funny, and at times scary episode as I trace back through my interviews with just such a great set of human beings. So I really didn't know what to expect when I started this podcast. I'd heard some advice that you should commit to trying to do at least four episodes just to see if you enjoy the process and can make a go of it and if podcasting is for you. Well, in the very first 10 minutes of my first episode that I recorded with an old friend, Tommy Aday, He told me the most incredible story that I'd had no clue about in his life, and I was just amazed that I'd known a friend for so long, and yet, through podcasting, I was just able to uncover such incredible insights about people, and it was this moment that I realised I was definitely going to enjoy being a podcaster, and I just made a really good choice in starting this, and just resolved to carry on doing podcasting for maybe the rest of my life, I don't know, a long time, but anyway, this is a great clip, so I hope you enjoy it.
1: Well, I I, I do. I do anything it takes. I mean, have you ever stolen anything? Stolen? Wow. Wow. I mean, I can't even count how much I've stolen. (laughs) (laughs) Then again, I mean, I could tell you a wonderful story about this. um, How my view on life changed early on. So I left home when I was eight years old. Um, My mom cried, but my dad believed this was the way to bring up uh, children you just have to leave the house but my mom thought oh it was too early you can't let him leave it's just eight years old so but when i left um i went with a bunch of food stuff so my mom packed me up she was she gave me gary which is cassava i'm not it's not really popular here she gave me provisions and stuff so when i went to my own and i went to this camp uh, i started talking to people of course much older than i was so they were much more experienced with life and living by themselves. So I gave them, I I, I said, oh, welcome, mom. this is me. My name is Tomiwa. I'm here uh, in this camp. so said, oh, you're so young. I'm like, yeah, I know, but my dad wants this. So I, uh, and so they still had a lot of food. So a lot of them came, oh, you know, we share and we care in this camp, and can you give me some food? So I was like, of course. I gave cassavas, I gave, um, to people provisions to people and then it was time after a week or two my provisions ran out and everybody said sort of just sort of forgot me and I went back to these people to say oh it's all sharing and caring I see you have um about a bunch of cassava grains can you give me some and they were like nope wow. <laughs> and this was the same person I gave um yeah listen so then yeah, I thought okay I wow great um it's not Life is not as straightforward as it is. I thought, if I give you something, you mm. tend to help me out when um, I don't have as well. So it wasn't that way. Then my I called, I found someone to get in touch. send a letter to my mom. Back then it was just letters. There was no phones. Yeah. Um, send a letter to my mom. My mom rushed down as soon as she could with more food. So <laughs> she also brought oh, someone like to get, I know, I know. She also got, got someone to get this, um wood box that I can lock and put my provisions in so she did that and she had this space for me she she talked to the leader of the camp and it was all good I had food again I was happy the next morning I woke up with my locker looking intact everything was good I thought I opened it and there was nothing in there then I looked at the back through the back of the locker they had removed the back and took everything all my food stuff and then that's the monster in me triggered.
2: Yeah. I So <laughs> of just, off,
1: just said, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to call my mom. I'm going to yeah. get, fill up this. I'm going to repair this locker and I'm going to fill it up with wood. Yeah. So I went on a shopping spree. <laughs> and yeah, that was, that was the first time I stole.
0: So I don't want to say that stealing is a good thing, but certainly hustling and looking after yourself is very important. In every episode, I've always been very fascinated in people's backgrounds and the initial entrepreneurial stories they have. This next clip is from Nick Miller, the CEO of Buzzhire, who also ran three different businesses for Rocket Internet. However, before he did all that, he started an olive oil importing business just after he graduated from university. This is just a really nice, compact story of some great lessons that everyone needs to learn as an entrepreneur.
3: So actually, one of the entrepreneurial things that I did growing up was a sort old business I forgot to mention, but basically I knew when I left uni that I wasn't ready to start working and I didn't like the idea of just jumping into what everybody else was doing I didn't have a clear idea of what I wanted to do um I had done an internship at a hedge fund the year before, but I didn't feel satisfied by the role I was doing equity research and I felt like I was researching something and selling my analysis in order for people to buy stock and you know, that didn't really kind of gratified me so I took a year out and luckily my parents had just bought a house in Tuscany. We'd all, They'd all left from London and bought a place in Tuscany and they had some olive oil olive groves but we were not doing anything with olive oil so I thought that was a cool project to kick off so I um, basically spoke to the family and asked them to we produced about a thousand litres of oil and in the meantime I made the packaging I bought the equipment that's needed to package it into bottles. I rented a van. I actually got it, went over to Italy first, got a sample, brought it back to London, and went around to lots of delicatessens around London, showing them the sample and having them taste it and get orders in. I, again, that I learned the difficulty of planning versus execution. I thought, okay, I'm gonna give around 20 samples and I'll get orders for a thousand liters. In, instead, I got orders for like 20 liters of oil and i produced a thousand. So, but I rented this van, went over to Italy and spent pretty much a week bottling in a kind of a hut in Tuscany. 2000 bottles, because each bottle was half a liter. Loaded it up in a van with a mate of mine, who just came around for the ride. He also got paid in a few bottles of olive oil. And yeah, shit uh, drove back. I also learned the impact of FX because I was buying the olive oil in, in euros and obviously selling it in pounds. And over the six, seven months that I was working on this, the euro had strengthened massively versus the pound, making it so much more expensive to sell. And I also learned consignment. So at the beginning, I was really struggling. I had 20 liters sold in advance and I was trying to sell 980 liters and very few people agreed to buy it off me and so I learned what was consignment so I would drop off a box of 12 bottles and tell them that I'd be back in a month uh, to see how many were sold and all of a sudden I got my boxes in all the delis around London and all of a sudden they were starting to sell and I was starting to make money and that way there was no risk from the seller's side and I was actually starting to ship a lot of this oil and reducing my storage costs because Something that I didn't kind of yeah. evaluate was the huge cost of storing a thousand liters in London, in central mm-hmm. London. Um, so, yeah, it was a really fun experience. And that's actually why I decided to draw a property from Gamble in the end, because I was like, I need to be selling a product. I need to be dealing with something that's much more tangible than a piece of share price or something. So I did that over the period of about seven, eight months and then went traveling and then managed to sell pretty much 95% of everything that I took over.
0: I still love the imagery of Nick spending two weeks bottling olive oil under the sun in Italy and driving across Europe in a van to try and sell it all, It's, it's amazing. But we aren't all lucky enough to just take a break out to start a business and this next story is an example of being pushed into solving your own problems after life hands you a bunch of proverbial lemons
2: and at the time I'd been working in a cafe for peanuts where they treated everyone like dirt and I was very bored. I ended up getting fi- just been fired from that job and at the time I was quite down about it and they explained, well you didn't keep the toilet roll on the toilet and that was your responsibility. I couldn't maintain the most basic things in the most basic job and at the time I'd convinced myself it was because I wasn't capable. Which, in retrospect, it seems a bit ridiculous that I was not capable of keeping the toilet roll on the toilet. Now I'd say it's more a matter of whether it was stimulating enough. And I think sort of naturally, my mind was more used to thinking of more complex things and it just bored me. And so, yeah, I was at the gym with a friend. I'd been working this job and he was on the phone to another friend that didn't want to do his homework for university. So the friend on the phone had the genius idea, well, Felix has finished his master's and He doesn't have a job, why doesn't he do your homework? Oh, wonderful idea. So I went over to the other friend's house, had a look at his essay on political philosophy, which looked fascinating, and he had a nap on the couch for a few hours, and by the time he woke up, I'd almost finished. It was so interesting. And the really odd thing was, in contrast to doing your own homework, where you'd dick around for hours and be on Facebook and procrastinate, when it was someone else's for money. Not only did I enjoy it, I did it really efficiently. I was concentrating, sitting up with a straight back the whole time, and and his project was done, and he paid me three hundred dollars, and he got a high distinction, and it was pretty win win, and I really enjoyed it. And then I thought, well, we should get more of them, so then I started advertising on the internet, and that was going okay. or was sort of much better than the cafe job, but then I'd got projects in areas that were either too boring or I couldn't do, such as OHS was too boring, and IT I didn't have a clue. So another friend in IT at The Simple Solution, of course, freelancer.com. And next minute, I was outsourcing all the papers, unless they were particularly interesting, and I wanted wanted to write an essay about something.
0: A really great example of hustling, although maybe it wasn't the most ethical long-term solution that he came up with. But I'm pleased to say that Felix has since changed his business, and he now runs chess clubs across Melbourne, teaching and inspiring school kids to aspire to be chess grandmasters. It's a really cool business. This reminds me of another great story from the podcast about chess and the importance of learning and changing what you do with your life. This is going to be a bit of a theme in this episode and of course it's central theme to the Growth Mindset podcast where we learn how to do anything. I was very fortunate to record a conversation with Antoine Blondeau was the inventor of Siri and currently runs a multi-billion dollar AI business called Sentient Technologies. When I asked him what his most important memory was he told me a really deep, heartwarming, and inspiring story about his grandfather, and of course chess.
4: My grandfather was a very smart person who got injured um, in the war, and he actually lost his eyesight. And he was a, a remarkable man in many ways. And he, uh, an example to most of us, he actually, after getting after being blind, he completed uh, the, uh, the engineering school that he was admitted to. He was uh, the, the best one in France, actually. Uh, and then he went to marry, uh, had five kids, adopted one, and then went to run his own company, which, ironically, of course was in the business of producing lights you know like <laughs> light, light bulbs wow. there you go so and i used to yeah. play i used to play with him chess and he was a blind man yeah and he was playing chess he was he was um representing the chess board in his head and uh and i, and I played with him many 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 times and um uh, that told me something about again overcoming but this time it's overcoming something that's totally unfair you know um mm-hmm. but just through sheer will and and also benevolence in his case it was he yeah. was a benevolent guy he was not trying to impress anything upon you mm. just trying to engage but doing some remarkable things in the process That's very
0: cool yeah it's insane well, that's, uh, thank you very much for sharing beautiful cool okay and then what's your favorite parable
4: so there's one big lesson that i learned along the way and that is do not focus on status do not focus on the money and the money Thing. And I, I, I discovered that, I guess, through um, trial and error. Um, well, maybe in this case, trial and not error. But uh, and the interesting thing is that for most of my career, whenever I moved from jobs to jobs... I, that's almost always the case in every single thing that I've done. I moved to positions or jobs or companies that would pay me less yeah. than the job I was in before. Mm. And But through but, but belief carries the day, right? So if you yeah. believe in it and if you work your ass off and if, um, you're, if you have conviction, I think that's important. Um, then that turns into better that turns into opportunities that you could never have dreamed about, and I think to me that's a big lesson. It's not about um, you have to make the ends meet. Okay, I think I think that is clear to most. But beyond that, what's what's really important is you do you do what you really believe in. If you can, if you have the skills to do that, if you're fortunate enough to be in a position where you can choose something you believe in, mm-hmm. right? And in, in the developed world, at least some of us can choose this way. If you, if you can choose that, choose that versus choose what's going to give you a bigger paycheck or a bigger, a bigger name. Eventually, this is what's going to, going to carry you and, and carry everybody else along the way.
0: Some really great advice about how to build the life you want and success. I, I'm sure you'll agree with that. I think it's really important to note that someone running a billion dollar business got there by pursuing interests and passions rather than by pursuing money. So this is a perfect introduction to this next clip that I'm going to play, which is an example of pretty much the worst case scenario if you don't stick true to your ethics and you do get sucked into chasing money. So I recorded a conversation with a real life hitman. It was possibly one of the most mind-blowing hours of my life. And I don't think I've ever sweated more profusely in such a small amount of time. And I've been to like deserts and really hot saunas and stuff, but no comparison. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I'm going to play... This clip, which is just a really tragic story of how this unnamed source unfortunately fell into his current role as being a hitman. So it really highlights Antoine's words of staying true to your morals and not chasing money.
5: I got into it was a life or death situation. I was excited to deal on the dark web. The guy I trusted started stealing thousands of dollars. I had a choice, put a bullet in his head or I get one. After that moment, I couldn't go back. I was made into a hitman. If I didn't do a hit, they would pay the next guy a little more to hit me too.
0: Okay, so I guess you didn't ever expect to end up as a hitman. Uh, Would you say you're kind of unhappy as a hitman then?
5: I would not say that I'm unhappy.
0: Okay, well, that's good. But it's not your preferred choice of work.
5: If someone put a gun to your head and told you to hit some stranger and after you get $1,000.
0: Well, I'd feel a little short-changed, like, but I guess first I would probably kill the person before thinking about the money.
5: Your life is better than a few extra zeros.
0: Yeah, true. Uh, So is that like the average hit price or just they had you in a tight place and so you, they gave you 1000
5: Most of the hits go for around $1,000. There are at least 200 hitmen around.
0: Holy shit, that's like nothing. Howard? a human life so cheap like a funeral is more than a thousand pounds a psychiatrist bill is more than a thousand pounds
5: after one hit you don't feel anything you feel dead
0: inside ouch uh, so you felt that way since your first hit
5: it was harder with him because i knew him it haunts me i still see his face every day
0: oh man How come you were asked to hit him? Like, naturally, I want to know everything about how this happened. But if it's uncomfortable to talk about, don't worry. Also, don't mention anything specific, of course.
5: So he started stealing money from some Indian drug lords. Our job was to transport drugs and get the cash. He started to steal the money. The drug lords found out and beat us up. He confessed. And when he did, one of the six other guys gave me a gun. And I was told to put one in between his eyes. Or we both die. It was so they could make me scared and listen to them.
0: Wow. That's intense. I hope you don't feel responsible. Like, he shouldn't have risked it. And of course, they shouldn't have wanted him killed. So it's, it's not really your fault.
5: He even told me to pull the trigger.
0: He looked me in the eyes and said,
5: we will both die if I don't. Those words and his face haunt me. But the other people I hit
0: was easy. I don't know them. Wow, the brain is weird. So are they still your employer or do you work freelance now?
5: I work for them still. It's good pay. I get to party hard. And if I leave, they will kill me. People get hit for cheating on partners. Hitman prices are about $1,000 to $10,000. They are over 400 hitmen.
0: Jeez, I thought hitmen would be paid like 100k to like a million and be flying on jets around the world with hidden identities. So, so I guess I was pretty wrong. Uh, uh, all hits usually within the country that you're in.
5: High profile people cost 50000 to one, $100,000. I do it here.
0: Has anyone ever asked you to kill Donald Trump? (laughs) No. I'm surprised. And there's some friends who are convinced he'll be assassinated before his end of his first term. What do you think the price would be for him?
5: His suit is also bulletproof and his tie. A price like that would be in the million.
0: Yeah, I, I figured. Okay, so don't disclose who or anything. But can you vaguely describe the most high profile hit you've ever done?
5: Lawyers and judges.
0: Oh shit. Yeah, messing with the law seems dangerous. Do you think you could do something like that, sort of hit in a first world country like the US or Australia? No,
5: it would be a lot
0: harder. But I do want to go to Australia. Gold Coast. So that was possibly the best anti-drugs advert on the planet. So remember, kids, drugs aren't smart. And yes, it turns out buying drugs does actually result in real people getting killed. And it isn't just stories that you hear in the movies. So I did feel really sad for the unnamed hitman, and he did go on to talk about his desires to change his role and run away, but his fear of being hunted and killed if he did. Uh, So this next clip is a story from another anonymous source, who was a hacker, who did manage to turn his life around to escape his life of crime and start an ethical business using the skills he had learned from hacking into world banks and stealing Bitcoin, to now helping companies increase their online security. Going on to cryptocurrencies how did you hack and
6: end up with cryptocurrencies? So, we would find out people who have cryptocurrencies and we would make sure that they don't know who we are. Yeah. We would go with the Wi-Fi pineapple outside their house. Um, Then we would monitor their internet usage and if they have a, a wallet that's online, um, mm. we could pick up that website that they're going to so we could clone that website and then we would yeah. kick them off their internet, route them through the Wi-Fi pineapple and you know, when they browse, for example, coinbase.com, yeah. we can make that website route to our phishing sure. so they think they're on coinbase but they're on my phishing server. So then wow. they log in yeah and you have the credentials. but most of the time they use two-factor authentication yeah so with that we have to get the email as well
0: okay Yeah, i was going to
6: ask how do people protect themselves? Best thing to do is use two-factor authentication because if someone has your your wallet password and you don't have two-factor authentication, they can straight away break into it. Yeah. If you use two-factor authentication, it either sends a text to your phone. Yeah. Or an email.
0: Sure. So if you're um. So it's unlikely that you'd ever be able to find like a Bitcoin whale or something just because they'd be too protected.
6: A lot of the time they don't know what they're doing. They just yeah. think it's a new phase. Invest a lot of money into Bitcoin. And like the guy with the brain tumor saw that ransomware too. Yeah, um, he's now gotten to a lot of Bitcoin accounts from that ransomware. i have coded ransomware into a USB stick that acts as a keyboard. I sold that to a guy with a brain tumor up in New Plymouth. Um, the only reason I sold it to him was he has a family. Yeah, and you know he wants to leave this a bit of money. Okay, so I was like, fuck it, I can sell you some ransomware. That's kind of like Robin Hood. (laughs) i guess (laughs) yeah that was crazy so a day after i sold it to him i looked on the new stuff.co.nz you can have a look at them yeah uh, he launched on a taxi company. So yeah, taxi. service got hit with the ransomware. I, I program. Wow, that's cool. Uh, what was the name of that website? Stuff.co.nz. Stuff. Yeah. Stuff. Co.nz. So if you Google um stuff taxi hack, yeah, it'll come
0: up. That was stuff, not stuff.
6: Yeah. S t u f f. Cool. cool. Okay, I'll
0: do that. Um. All right. So now going forwards, what are you doing? So you say you now
6: run a ethical hacking business. Yeah. So um, since my friend got arrested for hacking the police, I thought know the next one could be me if i Mm. do one little mistake and it's it's the thing about hacking is it's not hard to hack it's more hard to stay anonymous and staying hidden. yeah so you could just have one small slip up or for example you could be taking down a website and if your VPN disconnects and you're still launching an attack they've got your ip address yeah so anything could happen and then you could get sent to jail sure so i started thinking "I, i still love hacking like i'm really good at it so why don't i try and use it for something good so i started a company called so what we do is we audit companies and we hack them like a black hack hacker. Mm. So we do anything we can to gain access to their servers, their computers or their website. And if we do, we tell them how we are able to access it and how they can stay secure.
0: Cool. So it's great to see that this hacker has moved towards a more ethical way of making money. And also to find out how to secure my Bitcoin. <laughs> but I do really think there's a lot of benefit in having a policy of working out how you can help people first... And that if you behave altruistically, it'll actually benefit you in the long run. So just from the basics of being a salesman, if you have the viewpoint of how can I help my customer rather than how can I get money out of them, it'll just pay you so much more dividends and you'll just have really good relationships with your customers. But also, I think this holds true in all walks of life. So I've really enjoyed asking people about some of the kindest experiences they've benefited from. And how it's changed their mindset. I spoke with Free Trade, a new fintech startup creating a free trading platform for UK investors. This next clip is from Victor Nebaj. This next clip is from Victor, whose surname has some strange letters in it, and um, and I'm sure it sounds really good when said out loud, but uh, sadly not today. Anyway, this next clip is from Victor the head of growth, who gave a great example of someone behaving altruistically towards him at their own potential loss and how it's
7: changed his view on working with others. So I I spent a long time at Google, seven years in total. I worked under various managers and directors, and in total, maybe I, I worked with a couple of hundred people in total. So there, there have been plenty of occasions there when, when I experienced kindness. Probably one of the kindest things uh, from that perspective was I had this director I was reporting to and uh, I I was still relatively new at the company and I had my ideas in terms of, yeah, I want a career, I want to stay at Google, I want to progress. I had a discussion with this guy and, and basically what he told me was that if it comes to your career, you have to be egoistic, but also you have to be mindful that... It's your twenties, thirties. Maybe you can make the biggest progress in your career, and it sort of flattens out. And basically, what this guy was saying is that in order to progress, you kind of have to leave my team. And if you think about that, a manager, somebody who has who manages a department or like a big team, there's a temptation to be egoistic there in terms of I just want to keep the best people. But basically, what what this guy said was that you should like look at other roles. You should explore and you should try to change jobs inside Google or outside even, and sort of progress your way ahead while you are still, you know, twenty six. And that really set me up. I change jobs about every every two years from that point on, and always sort of stepping up in career. And I think it really helped me to sort of build up my experience and my my profile even arguably self-inflicted damage. I left his team probably in two months. That, that was a really impactful conversation, but I really considered that a, that a kind thing because what I really had in mind was my progress uh, and uh, my career as opposed to his operational efficiency or whatever sort of KPIs he would have that I would contribute to. So yeah, I, I, I think some of the kindest things are when, you no, know, it's not in your interest. To help someone, but you still help anyway. Probably there is—it's really hard to explain why someone would do that. Yeah, it's—it's just really humans are really complex, right? Mm. And sometimes it's not in your very direct interest. You could just manipulate the person, right? But sometimes, hopefully, very often, you just want to do the right thing. You want to help the person, but there is no reason, there is no immediate direct benefit you get from it. But you just take, I guess, pleasure and satisfaction from seeing the other person succeed uh with your with your help or support being that forward so from from that point on you know whenever i had like somebody really and google is full of bright people of course but whenever i had somebody especially right on my team i always encourage them to seek out challenges and opportunities and try to move forward kind of gather experience progress inside or outside of the company whichever made sense So that was really kind, kind thing that I did not really understand only in retrospect, that that was an act of kindness.
0: I really believe there is something to be said for transparently having someone else's goals before your own. And this came up a lot across my conversations with various great CEOs about how they treat their staff. Sadly, I can't play all of those clips today, but I can play this brief clip from Dean Hume, the author of hiring startup teams summarizes this point nicely
8: i think one of the best pieces of advice i ever got from uh, a boss was we're still friends to this day actually he he said you know make sure whatever you do you keep on paying things forward you know when someone so for example if your boss helps you out and gives you a leg up you know make sure you're helping bring someone along the journey with you make sure Mm. you're always helping them out too so it's not just like a, a take 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 it's a bit of a give yeah in everything in life and i think you know it sounds kind of cheesy but i think the more you give out, the more things come back to you in life.
0: Cool. That's a good piece of advice. And so who's your hero?
8: My hero? That's a tough question. I was thinking, I was thinking long and hard about this. And I think for me, it'll probably have to be my dad. He, uh, he, when I was a youngster, uh, he passed away when I was about 15. Um, But he was a cool guy. He was a cool guy. He, um, in some sort of weird way, I always like kind of remember, you always remember the good stuff. And I always Mm. remember the, the good things he did. And I remember, you know, he was, you know, I had his own business and he you know, liked to look after people and I kind of try and bring a bit of those traits along with me. Mm. Who knows?
0: <laughs> some sterling advice and also amazingly poignant because at the time of the interview, Dean was the CTO of Settled, a property tech startup in London. But now I am very, very pleased to announce that he has taken some time out from work due to becoming a dad. Dean is such a great guy, and I've no doubt he's going to be an awesome dad, just like his own father. This leads into a funny story from my guest, Ben Marshall, a vegan bodybuilder, model and videographer. He had a much less fortunate childhood experience, with his own mother coming to save
9: him. One of the earliest memories I've got is, I was probably about three years old, and I was playing outside. I fell over and I cracked my teeth, and I knocked out my front tooth, and... I think the reason it sticks with me because it stayed with me to this day, is uh, so I, left my friend tooth and I was really upset and I grabbed it and I ran inside. My mum, the fantastic woman she was, didn't take me to hospital or anything, <laughs> she just sat me down and shoved it back in. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> and but the root, obviously, the gum healed. Yeah. But the root was ripped. So I had this black front tooth, Wow! Um, and then my other front tooth came through next to it. I pushed it, so I had like three front teeth. So when I was younger, I was just, it was the most <laughs> awful look <laughs> <That's> ever. <funny. laughs> um, and then I had really bad milk teeth as well. Like, it's like, oh, I had to get to, like every week to get the removed. But then when my adult teeth came through, I never had a brace or anything. They just lined yeah, perfectly. It yeah, it was perfect. really good. But because of what happened, I was so. I it. I would yeah. brush my teeth religiously eight times a day, like all through high school, eight times. like at least, like as soon as I woke up after right. breakfast, after lunch. I think that's unhealthy, like yeah. It, I would I would brush them till they bled. I, yeah. I would brush my teeth so like so much. Um, <laughs> wow! Like, all, all through high school, I would I, I had a toothbrush in my back.
10: It was um, really bad for you. It's really.
0: I think this is an amazing demonstration of the way experiences can have such a profound effect on us. And also, it's just amazing that his mother literally shoved his dead tooth back into his mouth. (laughs) So, like Ben says, she is really a hero. But on the subject of heroes, I think we can all be heroes with much smaller commitments than full-time parenthood. This clip on the kindest thing done for him is from Rob Price, a teacher and author recollect one of his darkest moments and how someone saved him with a simple act of kindness.
10: It's the day I became homeless. My boss gave me a place to sleep. That that was that was extraordinary. I was in a very bad situation and I had to get out of the place where I was living Mm. and um, I told my boss and she told me to go upstairs at the place I was working Which was children's centre, and there was a little room upstairs with a small kitchen and a sofa that the staff used for breaks. And she said, "You should go out there and you should sleep here as long as you want." Which at that time, for various reasons, I wouldn't have had anywhere else to go. And I still remember. I remember very, very, very vividly being upstairs in this little break room and making beans on toast, and being incredibly happy. Yeah, because. First of all I was free of this god awful situation I'd been in domestically. And second of all, because this was like and this was a moment that was like authentically mine and that had been given to me without any expectation of, of return or reward or anything. Someone someone had just given this like this sofa and this pot of beans yeah. in this kitchen to me and just said, Yeah, just stay. Stay as long as you want. Um I ended up staying one night was all I needed. <laughs> Sometimes you just need
0: Yeah, you can like times to just work out your situation and
10: I didn't even need See, time. Yeah. I just needed to be welcome somewhere. Yeah, which I was. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Rosie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah have you ever told her that? Ever? Oh, she knows. She okay. knows. She's 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 very wise. We understand each other great. We talk on Facebook now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah, like all people, be- like everyone does. It.
0: It's amazing how sometimes even a simple act of just giving something without expectation of anything back can so massively change someone's situation. After my experiences traveling, I can really relate to Rob's feeling when you just need to have a moment that is yours and yours alone, where you don't need to worry about owing anyone something for the privilege and you can just feel settled for a second to just actually work out what the hell you need to do with your life. This next guest, Bob Asim, helped me out when I was feeling this way and he opened up his entire home to me in Malaysia whilst I was traveling. After I'd only met him once before, He even let me drive his car which seemed like almost a step too far in terms of kindness (laughs) and it was a real demonstration of how I want to behave as a human being. So I learned a lot from my time with Bob and I was really privileged to record a podcast with him before I left. He gave me so much good advice in that episode that has really helped me since. But with only one clip to play I went with this clip where he explains his attitude towards giving to others.
11: I also realized that giving is like a privilege mm. for two reasons. Number one, you can only give what you have, right? So if you can give somebody something, that means you're more privileged than some somebody, yeah. right? And that could mean even a smile. Like sometimes uh, you see some people like they, they, they have a bad day. They yeah. can't even smile. But you can yeah, smile and you give mm-hmm. him a smile and he makes his day. And then, you know, that's why you're more privileged than him, right? And the second thing is, the second reason why it is a privilege is you can only give when the other the other party is willing to receive, you know. <laughs> the world has become so I don't know, so crazy that whenever someone is nice to you, you think that okay, maybe this guy Yeah, wants something else. Yeah. Like so but if someone just okay, thank you, it's it's a privilege because they allowed you to give. Mm. That's that's my thinking. Cool, yeah, it's a yeah. really nice art it. And it makes you feel so much more grateful in life because you realise that you actually have a lot to give. You are in a good, better position than a lot of people because yeah. you're able to give. Even a smile
0: is a gift, you know, because
11: you're happy. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty really
0: cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's such a good point, isn't it? Just going around like your normal life just definitely makes you happier just choosing to be happy in the moment, if you get me, is in when something comes your way that could make you unhappy and you go... I'm not going to let this make me be unhappy. Yeah. You feel extra happy just because you decided that. Like, I remember when I was sort of 17 or 18, like, I, I got a parking ticket this one day and it I pissed me off and, like, I felt like I'd been done wrong because I'd there for, like, five minutes and it was super annoying. And, like... I lost like a 100 quid or whatever and it wasn't like the end of the world but it ruined the rest of my day and mm-hmm. the next day my friend was like oh you can park here because he lived in the city and I didn't know it and I was like okay cool and so we went for lunch came back and I had another parking ticket and I was like oh fucking hell <laughs> so it was mostly his fault but then I was like okay well I should have listened to him it's my car and I just cause I had such a bad day yesterday I just couldn't be arsed with having another bad day <laughs> and I just chose you know what I just don't care about this this is fine I'm gonna have a good day the rest of the day. Yeah. I'm gonna be able to see my friend otherwise. But yeah. I then had like a much better day, just because I'd chosen to not yeah. be pissed off. I yeah. was like extra happy than yeah. <laughs> I felt like even more sort of like in the moment and like happy that I wasn't unhappy exactly. the whole like, time. I think
11: that is uh that is a good point. Like for me shit's always happened. Yeah. And um, when it happens, I just say, okay, I learned it. I'm yeah. The next time, I, I won't do this do again. And in fact, I will, I will tell myself, I'm so happy that I learned the new things today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm not, it's not going to repeat. So then you just move on with your life and you like what you say you, you you'll be happier yeah if you have watched
0: Kung Fu Panda there's like the phrase that his master teaches him like yesterday is history yeah tomorrow is a mystery is today a is a, no today is a gift. gift that's why we call it the present yeah yeah you ruined the punchline right <laughs> oh <Yeah>. sorry <laughs> it's a good quote though and yeah it just means like to value what you have right now and don't worry yeah. so much yeah uh
11: Ah, then I'm gonna show you a quote. Dalai Lama, when asked what surprised him the most about humanity, he answered man, because he sacrifices his health in order to make money, then he sacrifices his money to recuperate his health, and then he is so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present, the result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's not. He's never going to die and then dies having never really lived. Oh, wow. That's very powerful. Like, Yeah. He's a wise guy.
0: Super wise. Such a good quote. Both the Dalai Lama and Bob are true legends in my mind. And with that closing note, I can't think of a better way to end the episode. It's been an amazing year putting together these podcasts for you all. And trying to select the best bits was a monumental, but also a hugely entertaining experience. There's been so many great interviews and moments that I wanted to put into this episode. From my time in North Korea to learning about crazy tech innovations that are going to change the world around us. But if there's one thing that I learned this year, it's that keeping things shorter and focused is really important. And I think this episode really summed up a story that I wanted to tell you guys. And hopefully it's had an effect on the way that you do things. So I'm now going to take some time to reflect and really define the direction and goals for the podcast going forwards. You can be sure the content is only going to get better. On the theme of kindness, if you enjoyed this episode, please do give me a sweet-ass rating on iTunes or your preferred player and share this episode with a friend or all of your friends. And I'd really, really love to talk to you if you have any ideas of what you like or dislike about the podcast and what you think I should be focusing on for year two. And on that note, I would just love to thank everyone that's been on the show, everyone that ever listened to the show, and I just hope you all keep learning and keep growing. If someone as incapable of speaking as I was a year ago can start a podcast, then I'm sure that you can do absolutely anything. You've listened to an episode of the Growth Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your preferred app and give me a good rating. If you are unable to give good feedback right now, try sharing the show with a friend who will or just wait for the show to improve. If you have any ideas for the show or you just want to reach out, I'd love to talk to you. On Twitter, I am at Sam Harris Tweets, or Instagram, SamJamSnaps. Show notes, along with links to everything that we discuss, are available at growthmindsetpodcast.com along with information on how to get involved and blog posts on cool things that we should be aware of. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy your next podcast.